As we think about uh, things that God didn't say that we often attribute to God, uh, one of the challenges is not just the specific statements that we make. It's not just the specific words, but it's often more the implication of those words that we don't take time to think about. We think about the phrase, we we say it because uh, often we believe it's going to bring comfort or we don't know what else to say. And so we use a particular phrase without really thinking through what are the implications of that statement. What if that is true? Then what else does that mean? And that's definitely true for the phrase we're going we're gonna to use, uh, we're going to talk about today. And, and as I said, this is kind of a tricky one, and, and, and we, we may disagree a little bit as we go through this. I promise I tried to talk God out of this one for like three weeks, even right up until Monday, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me get out of this. So, so we're going to plunge in. Here's the statement that we often make. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason, except I don't think God said that. And I don't think the Bible says that. Now, let me start with a disclaimer, as, as I am wont to do. Uh, uh, let me give a disclaimer, and then I want to try to put that phrase in its best light. Let, let me try to interpret what we mean, what we're trying to say when we use that phrase. And I'm going to try to put it in its best light before I talk about why I don't think it's such a good idea to use that phrase. Here's a disclaimer. I am not saying there is never a higher reason to the events that happen in our lives. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying the world is totally random and chaotic and meaningless and nothing matters. I'm not saying that there aren't specific events that God intends and that God uses and has ultimate ends, uh, outcomes that he's going to bring about because of those. The, the clearest biblical illustration, obviously, is Joseph in the book of Genesis. He's sold into slavery. He's ends up in jail. But at the end of all of that, in Genesis 50, he's talking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. And Joseph says in Genesis 50, verse 20, you, the brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God intended that particular uh, a role of events and circumstances for a specific purpose. God, you intended, you were working something in this that I didn't see initially. Right? That's obviously true. There are obviously times when circumstances happen in order to accomplish a specific purpose. But in the same Bible, we also read about characters that just simply disobeyed God and all kinds of calamity followed. We read about tragedies. We, we, we read about disobedience. And, and there's not some redeeming statement at the end of all of those stories that says, well, God intended it for this. You intended it for that. God intended it for that. We don't find that with all of the stories. Let me try to give the best interpretation I can of everything happens for a reason. Let me try to present that in its best light. Here's what I think we're trying to say when we use the phrase everything happens for a reason. Best interpretation. The tragedy, hurt, or loss you experienced 
isn't meaningless or in vain. I think that's one of the things we're trying to communicate. When someone is hurting, we don't want them to think they are hurting needlessly. We don't want them to think they are in pain without purpose. That's, that's one of the, maybe the hardest things about pain is to feel like you are going through pain without any purpose, without any meaning. And so everything happens for a reason, I think, is a way we communicate you're, this, isn't, this isn't without purpose. This isn't random and chaotic. You're not just unlucky. And I understand that. And, and, and I don't think pain is without purpose either. I just don't think it, that's captured in the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Another interpretation. Best interpretation. I think we're trying to communicate God is in control. Whatever's happening to you, there's something else happening behind the scenes. There's something else maybe that you don't know of yet. There's a bigger picture happening. God is doing something and you're going to see it one day. We are trying to communicate the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. God is in control. I think that's best interpretation. That's one of the things we're trying to say when we say everything happens for a reason. And then my third best interpretation we want to offer hope. I think we're trying to say that in the middle of a tragedy, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of brokenness, there's something else going on. You don't know what it is yet. We don't know what it is yet. But someday we're going to know what it is. So we have hope that this is going to make sense one day. We have hope that this is going to fit together in some way. Now, I happen to think all of those interpretations are true. I just don't think they're best communicated by the phrase, everything happens for a reason. So I, I, think, I, 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 I don't think life is random and chaotic and without purpose. I don't believe that. I, I do believe we should convey hope when people are suffering. I do think it is good and right in the right moment, in the right time to communicate God's sovereignty and the fact that God is in control. I think all of those things are good things to communicate. I just want to caution you that the best way to communicate those things is not with the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Now, if there's a if there's a place in the Bible where we draw this from, I think it would probably be Romans 8. And we're going to kind of jump around Romans 8 for a little while. If you have your Bible, you want to get to Romans 8, we're going to be there. I, I, I think the place, if we, if we try to attach a Bible verse, Romans 8, 28 is probably the verse we would attach to this. It's, it's probably what we point to to say, this says everything happens for a reason. But let me, let me read it to you. This is Romans 8, 28. Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome, and he writes, some of you know this verse, some of you have it memorized, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me read it again. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will work in all things, in all situations. But the verse doesn't make a judgment about the all things that are happening. The, the verse says, 
God will work in all things. He will bring good from all things. But the verse doesn't say all things are good. The verse doesn't say that all things are good and wonderful and, in, and intentional. The verse says God will work in all things, the best of things, the worst of things. And he will ultimately bring good from those things. The verse is saying things happen. Things happen. Good things happen. Bad things happen. Incredibly evil things happen. And God is not done when those things happen. It doesn't describe those things as good. It doesn't even describe those things as intended by God in the way that we think of it. It just says things happen. And God sovereignty, sovereignly, providentially brings good out of even the worst things. Now let's talk about the implications and why I think this is an unfortunate phrase to use. The, the implications of everything happens for a reason. And I want to start with a current illustration and it's always dangerous to use a current tragedy because we're so close to it and, and I want to be sensitive to the fact that we're really close to this particular tragedy. But I think it'll help us understand. Um, we have all grieved. Um, we have all been shocked by the, the partial collapse of the condo in Miami. Just the, the suddenness. I mean, you, you're like me. And, and this was mainly a residential condo. But you're like me. And you're thinking of all the condos you've ever stayed at, right? All the times you've been on the beach. And you've been on the 18th floor. You've been on the 20th floor. You've been on whatever floor. You've watched this. And you've thought... I've been in one of those rooms before. Not that one, but I have been in a condo. What must that be like in the middle of the night for the whole thing to give way? I was reading an article uh, this week, and there was a woman being interviewed who was in the condo. And around midnight, she heard what she thought was construction going on. And she thought this is a terrible time to be doing construction which is what all of us would have thought. It woke up her kids, so she got her two kids, and she went down to the security guard's office. And she's telling the security guard, can you please do something about them doing construction at midnight? And as they're having the conversation, she sees part of the garage collapse. At which point she turns and yells to her children, run as fast as you can. They run out of the building, across the block. As the building begins to come down, they run up another block. They're enveloped by the dust and debris of the condo collapse. Pause. I am very mindful of the fact that this woman's being interviewed days from the most traumatic event in her life probably. Right? I, I want to be clear about that. She's dealing with all kinds of trauma at this point. All right? she, she almost died. Her children almost died in front of her. I am sympathetic to that. But, but the thing that she says, I think, is characteristic of ways that we tend to respond to tragedies. All of us. Whether we were in it or not. Especially if we're, if we're believers. In the interview, this was the statement that she made. God was waiting for us to leave the building. 
God was waiting for us to leave the building. And admittedly, it's difficult to know what to say in a tragedy, isn't it? It's difficult to find the words. And, and, and for many of us, there's a desire to thank God that I'm alive. I, I totally understand that. But you see the implication of that statement, don't you? God was waiting for us to leave the building, which means... The other almost 150 people, was God not waiting for them to leave the building? There's implications when we use this sort of language towards God, towards other people. Now, here's a caution I will give you about misquoting God, and it's this. We are most likely to misquote God, I think, when we are in the middle of a hard moment. Or when someone we care about is in the middle of a hard moment. I think that's the time that we're most likely to reach for words of comfort. To reach for something. To try to make sense of things. To to try to stabilize us mentally and emotionally. We reach for something. And often it's not something that's true. Completely. It's not something that God says or God desires. We, we reach for something. Think about the phrases that, that we've discussed. God just wants me to be happy is a phrase that typically we use when we're not happy, right? We're not happy and we think something else will make us happy. And so we use the phrase, God just wants me to be happy when we're going through a difficult time and we want to be happy. We use the phrase, uh, God won't give you more than you can handle when somebody is in the midst of something they can't handle. We tend to use these phrases most often when life gets difficult. So that's just a warning to say, when life is hard, be careful what you reach for, for strength and comfort. Because oftentimes we reach for something that is not very stable and isn't at all true. Here's an implication of the statement. An implication of the statement, everything happens for a reason, is often it minimizes the pain of the sufferer. Now, we don't often think of it that way when we're trying to comfort somebody. But often, and it's difficult to try to speak for all sufferers, okay? I realize I'm putting myself in the place of all sufferers, and and, and I, I can't do that. But I think sometimes, especially the closer we are to whatever the tragedy was or whatever the loss was, the closer we are chronologically to whatever broke, whatever fell apart, when we use this phrase, everything happens for a reason. I think for many people, it feels like you're minimizing what I just went through. It it feels like you're saying... Well, hey, it's not that big a thing because everything happens for a reason. Right? Oh, you, sh- you shouldn't worry. Everything happens for a reason. Right? You, sh- you shouldn't grieve over that. You shouldn't be hurt by that because everything happens for a reason. Let's just kind of get over it because everything happens for a reason. And that's not our intent. I totally understand that's not our intent. But we're talking about the implications of the words that we use when we're trying to comfort ourselves are other people. If you're really close to a tragedy or a loss and you say to somebody, 
Everything happens for a reason. It feels like you're dismissing the weight of whatever I'm going through in that moment. If you've ever ever been on the receiving end of that phrase, I bet many of you would say, it felt like they just wanted me to stop talking and they just wanted to find a Band-Aid to put on my problem. So they grabbed the everything happens for a reason Band-Aid and stuck it on the problem. It can feel like you're minimizing the weight of the loss. In this search for reason and meaning, you and I have to accept that the search for a reason is often futile and unfulfilling. The search for a reason. Once we start down the path of everything happens for a reason, then the next thing we want to know is, okay, well then what's the reason? We often search for reasons, again, to try to stabilize ourselves mentally and emotionally and even spiritually. I need to know why. I need to know why. And and I understand that. Humanly speaking, I understand that. I would even say the search for why and the search for reasons in some way is an indication that there is a God, right? Our heart knows something bigger is going on, something eternal is happening, something spiritual is happening. Our heart knows the tragedies of this world are not all there is. This is not the end. Something's happening bigger than I can understand. So that desire for reason is one of the indications that there is a God and he is at work. What I'm saying is that search in the midst of tragedy is often futile and unfulfilling. Sometimes you don't ever get that reason. It doesn't come. And you search and you search and you wonder and you question and you ask, and it doesn't come. It never comes. And sometimes a reason comes and you realize it didn't help at all. I mean, if you come up with a reason, real or perceived, if you find a reason, many people in their sorrow realize it doesn't help my grief at all to know the reason. They're still gone. My heart's still broken. There's still an empty chair. Like, this doesn't lighten my load. We, we think reasons are going to help us cope. And again, I'm not trying to speak for all sufferers everywhere. There may be times that it helps, but I think most people will say, even if there's a reason, my, my heart's still broken. And th- reasons don't heal anything. Jesus, multiple times in his ministry, was asked for reasons. And, and in times of tragedies, Jesus often didn't give a reason. Luke 13, people were talking about this tragedy that happened with Pilate and some people who got killed. Galileans and their blood was mixed with the sacrifices. And Jesus, Jesus didn't offer a reason. He said, you need to repent and, and turn to God. He didn't offer a reason for that. He he mentions uh, another tragedy in Luke 13. Same thing. He doesn't offer reasons. Because so often reasons are unfulfilling. I spent some time on the phone recently with a high school classmate of mine that I haven't talked to since high school. and, And wasn't really very close in high school but because of social media, I knew that she had experienced this huge tragedy in her life. And, and I, I had watched her kind of honor that 
over the past years and just reached out and, and said, you know, if, we, if we're ever together, I'd love to hear your story. And, and uh, so she invited me to, to call her and I talked to her on the phone. About 12 years ago, she sent her, her daughter off to college and in a tragic, just freak accident, uh, her daughter fell off a balcony and, and died. Um, Do we think reasons repair that? Like, like if she found some reason, do you think that fixes that, that, that helps it? We give reasons way too much credit because reasons don't heal things. Here's another implication of this phrase, everything happens for a reason. The implication is, and we don't want to say it this way, but the implication is God is directly responsible for what happened. Or God is to blame, if, if we want to say it more directly. God, you are to blame. You caused this, wanted this, intended this. This had to happen because of you, God. There was no other way for this to take place other than the way that it took place, right? The implication is whatever the hurt is, and, and, and whether you like the, if you still like the phrase after this, you still want to use the phrase, that's fine. Just be careful using that with somebody whose heart is broken open because their natural response should be, well, why did God take my person? Why did my person have to be the one? Why did, why did this have to happen? God, you are responsible for what happened. I, I, again, I, the lady in Miami dealing with all kinds of trauma, and I'm not picking on her, and, and I don't know her. I think her response is fairly characteristic, though, of the way we look at these situations. If what she said is true, then the image of that moment is God in heaven with his finger on the demolition button just waiting for three people to get out before he clicked it i mean that's the implication of this statement god you did this god you're to blame for this god it's your fault this happened but here's the thing we aren't in a video game this isn't a simulation that we're living we aren't avatars in a video game. Anybody ever play the game Frogger? Is that too dated for this crowd? Remember the game Frogger? Like, like if you're below 30, the graphics would be terrible. You would hate the graphics for Frogger. You remember Frogger, right? You had these lanes of traffic, and you had to move your little frog up and then over, and then you had to go up, and you had to keep kind of bouncing him around, or else he'd get run over by a car. I don't think we intended to be this way, but I think sometimes our response to tragedy makes it seem like God's in heaven playing frogger with everybody. Okay, I need you to take a step forward. I need you to go over, and you're going to have to cross two lanes, and uh, you're going to get hit by a car. Sorry, but there are reasons. It's going to hurt, but I have some reasons. And God's like constantly maneuvering and manipulating everybody. I mean, if we play this thought out, that's where we end up. God, you wanted, you intended this. Now, here's, how, here's how I would describe 
the providence and the work of God in the world, I would say it's this, the world is being guided, but it's not being manipulated. Well, it's being guided. The world's going to come to God's end. God's going to take all of the good and all of the righteous and all of the bad and all of the evil, and he's going to bring it to his intended end, and God is going to reign forever. What we just read about all nations are going to come to him. That's going to happen. That is never going to change. Whatever happens in this life is going to keep moving us toward that particular end, but that's different from God manipulating every little moment and word and movement in our lives. Romans 8. Paul, we think lands with, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. But where, part, where, where Paul starts that is with suffering. He starts with suffering. If you jump back to verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He doesn't say, all suffering has a reason. That's not what he says. He, he doesn't say all suffering is intentional. He simply says we're going to suffer. We're in a world that is broken. We're, we're in a world that is marred by sin and brokenness and disobedience to God. And the result of that disobedience is things aren't going the way they're supposed to go in every single way. Matter of fact, if you keep going in Romans 8, Paul uses the, the physical creation as an example. And he says, the physical world, world is groaning out to God to be freed from this bondage to decay and brokenness and tragedy. Even the physical world experiences, it's not operating the way it should be operating. And relationships aren't operating always the way they should be operating. And we have disease and, and we have tragedies. Paul admits it. Before he ever gets to, in all things God works for good, Paul says, there's terrible stuff that happens. This world's broken. There is suffering that we feel. We are in bondage to this decaying effect of sin. And we're going to experience that. And those consequences are sometimes painful. As a matter of fact, they're so painful, same pas passage Eight, as he's moving towards verse 28, Paul says, sometimes you're going to hurt so bad that the Holy Spirit is going to have to pray for you because you don't know what to pray and your heart's too broken and you don't know the words to say to God. And so the Holy Spirit's going to step in at your most broken, when you're hurting, when you're suffering. Again, Paul's not saying everything happens for a reason. Paul's saying you're going to suffer, but the Holy Spirit's going to step in and intercede for you. You're not going to be left alone in that suffering. Outside of tragedies, we want this sense of freedom and autonomy to be true, don't we? Be honest. If we step out of the conversation related to tragedies, you know that you don't want to view your life as a robot. You don't want to be Frogger. You want to feel that you have a measure of freedom and free will. You have a measure of autonomy 
to make your decision. Ultimately, God's leading everything to his intended end. But you want to believe that love is actually real because you get some choice in that. Decisions are actually real because you get to decide some things. Outside of tragedy, we want that to be true. But if that's true for all of the good things, if I have freedom that gives meaning to love between one person and another, then I have freedom to do the worst as well. And with the worst comes tragedy and brokenness and struggle. I say it a lot of things carefully, or maybe not so carefully. This is another one. Trying to be careful. This is not everybody's experience. Okay, I'm not pinpointing you or anybody else. I'm saying this is part of the pieces of the puzzle, what I'm about to say. We sometimes look for a reason because we don't want to admit there's a cause. I'll explain it. We sometimes look for a reason because we don't want to admit there's a cause. We look for some spiritual, mystical reason out there. Instead of admitting, no, I caused that. No, I blew that up. If, if, you, if you get a traffic ticket on the way home from Journey, you don't need to look for a reason. You were doing 70 and a 55 and a police officer clocked you and pulled you over. That's the cause. You don't need some big reason. That's the cause. And very often there's a very clear cause. Person A did this and created situation B. That's the cause. I'm not saying that there can't be a cause and a reason. Okay, They can be both. There can be both, but I, I think very often we want some big, God, why did this happen? And God's saying, well, because you dated that person. You stupid. <laughs> of course, of course that happened. What do you expect me to do? If you're dating people, that wasn't for you. All right? That's, <laughs> it was the random illustration that came to my mind. Um, sometimes we want a reason because we don't want to admit the cause. No, I, I made that decision. They made that decision. They did that thing, and it created heartache and brokenness. Again, as we watch the process in Miami work itself out, God, there may be some reason that this happened. There may be. I don't know the mind of God on what happened. I do know that the more information comes out, it looks like there's some pretty obvious causes, Right? Like they've neglected the structural problems with this building for years and years and years. And people have told them this is a problem. Okay, there, there's another construction going in very close by. People had concerns that that construction was going to negatively affect the, the, the stability of the condo that fell. I don't know if there's a bigger reason, but I know there's some pretty clear causes that seem to be preventable if people had done the right thing. Sometimes we need a big spiritual reason because we're afraid to admit there's actually a cause that led to this particular outcome. Again, I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm just putting some things on the table today and you take them home and let God do what he wants to with them. I think another problem 
with this everything happens for a reason idea is that sometimes some of us, maybe all of us, we look for reasons because Jesus is not enough. We need a reason because for whatever reason, Jesus isn't enough for us. We, we want Jesus, but we want Jesus plus a reason. God, I'm going to trust you, but I, but I need you, and I need an explanation. Matter of fact, I think I'm owed an explanation. Like, you remember the, the story of Job in the Old Testament? It's just like chapter after chapter of what is God doing? What is God doing? What is God doing? And he's got these, you know, terrible friends who are giving you all kind of bad advice. And what is God doing? And what is God doing? And, and, and the tension with Job, let's be honest. The tension with Job isn't that something happened. It's that God didn't stop something from happening. Because at the very beginning, we all know, God, you could have stopped all of that. And that's the struggle some of us have. Let's just, let's just be honest with our human hearts. I mean, sometimes we want to go, God, you... You could have stopped that. Like if they would have left the office just five minutes later. Like we have all of those things in our mind. Like real human responses. God, you didn't do anything. God, you didn't stop it. And finally, by the end, Job and his friends have decided they need an explanation from God. And if you're familiar with the story of Job, we get to the end. And God doesn't give them a reason. God does not explain himself at the end of Job. God reminds Job who God is. And says, Job, this has to be enough. I have to be enough. Not me plus reasons. Just God. Not Jesus plus an explanation. If you get an explanation, great. Wonderful. If you figure out a reason, good for you. But at the end of the day, the message of Job, the message of the Bible, the message of our lives is you and I have to get to a point spiritually where Jesus is enough. Whether we get reasons or not, whether we get explanations or not, Jesus is enough. I'm reading uh, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. In one chapter, he's dealing with Hebrews 4.15. He's in Hebrews throughout this, throughout this book. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He didn't say we, we don't have a high priest who doesn't explain everything to us. He said, we don't have a high priest. Our high priest, he knows what we're going through. He knows what it is to hurt. He grieved over friends and relatives who died when he was here on earth. He knows what brokenness feels. We, we have a high priest who absolutely knows what we're going through and he's with us. He's here. At the end of that chapter, Ortland writes, if you are in Christ, you have a friend who in your sorrow will never lob down pep talks from heaven. 
He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. When you're going through a difficult time, you know what Jesus is not saying to you? Everything happens for a reason. Hope you figure it out. Jesus does not lob down pep talks. He doesn't give us nice little Instagrammable quotes. He's with us. He's here. He's sympathizing with us. His heart is bound up with our heart if we are his followers. He is here. No, you may not get a reason, but you have Jesus. You have Jesus. If you think about all of the sayings we've covered, the three sayings that we've covered and probably any others we could add to it that God never said, they're really admissions that Jesus isn't enough, right? I need Jesus, but I also need to know that nothing's going to happen to me that I can't handle. I want Jesus, but I need to know I'm always going to be happy to. I want Jesus, but I need reasons. Like when we misquote God, most often what we're saying is, Jesus, I want you, but I need something else too. And Jesus gives us himself. He gives, him, gives us himself. Some of you notice that... Um, I posted recently, June 19th was 24 years since my dad died uh, of cancer. He's 55. I'm 24 years in. I don't have any reasons why that had to happen. None. Matter of fact, I can give you some really good reasons why it shouldn't have happened. Right? I, I think my dad's church would be better today if he were still alive and pastoring that church. There's a whole lot my mom would, would, would not have had to endure if my dad was still alive. I would love for my children to have known their grandfather. I'm 24 years in. I got no reasons. I got Jesus. And I'm not super spiritual. I had to, I had to ask a lot of whys. I had to demand some reasons. And I never got reasons. I just kept getting Jesus. Just kept getting Jesus. Whatever you go through, whatever you walk through, yes, God is in control. Yes, there is hope. Yes, there is purpose, ultimately, that God is going to bring us to heaven. God is going to restore all things to be right, but you may not get the reasons you want in this life. You see, I... I don't have to attribute a specific reason to a tragedy in order to believe that God can bring good out of the tragedy. Right? I, I don't have to believe that something terrible was actually something good, which is what we try to convince ourselves. I don't have to believe that something terrible was actually good in order to believe that God can bring good out of something terrible. 
I, I believe out of all things, God brings good. I, I, I believe out of all things, God works purpose. God is directing. I am growing. I am learning more of Jesus. As I, as I wrote in the notes, the tragedy, whatever it was, tragedy didn't have to happen, but since it did happen, I will allow God to use it for a purpose. I don't know that it had to happen. I wish it wouldn't have happened. If some people had made some different decisions, maybe it never would have happened. But since it did happen, I'm going to let God use it for purposes and for good and for His glory. But what you need most in those times is not reasons, it's Jesus. It's not your wise answered, it's Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, oh, give your heart to him today. Give your heart to him today. Admit that you can't handle all of this life. And admit there's brokenness in you and there's sin and disobedience in you and that only in coming to Jesus can that be healed and made right and you be forgiven? And no matter what you walk through, Jesus is with you and near you. It's Jesus in the end. More than reasons and whys, it's Jesus that we need. God, we pray that you would grow us and and, and teach us and keep us from making demands all the time and feeling we have a right to certain things, thinking that we've figured you out or figured out what's happening In this broken, messy world, what will get us through is not reasons, it's Jesus. It's not answers to our why. It's trusting Jesus and allow him to, allowing Him to take even the worst of things and bring good and bring purpose. God, help us to see you clearly. Help us as we comfort others to be like Jesus, to be there, maybe without so much explanation, to just be present with them. If there's anybody here that, that doesn't know you, let, let them give their life to you today. Let them put their faith in you, put their trust in you right now, to call out to you, to invite you into their life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.